Today's podcast title is I hate my company, I hate my pay, I hate my boss, but I am the boss. And I've wanted to do this podcast for a long time, especially for people like myself where I was about five years ago, where I was the owner of my company. But my mindset was I was not the owner. So on October 31st, 2014, I fired Rick, the salesperson. And on November 1st, I hired Rick, the CEO. And I know a lot of people are in this situation. You may not want to admit it, but a lot of people are in this situation where you own the company. You know, you are the boss. You hate the pay. And the thing is, it's only you that can fix it. So I'll just tell you about where I was before November 1st, 2014. Now, much of it probably has to do with the California real estate and mortgage crises. When that thing hit in like 2008, 2009, I mean, it hit most of California. It hit Las Vegas. It hit most of Metro Phoenix and Tucson. It hit most of Florida, Orlando and South all the way down to Miami. It was just a bloodbath everywhere. And for me, I had some other issues. I had a, a, a family member that was very ill that happened during this, this real estate mortgage crisis and needed surgery. I also had two sons that were getting ready to go to college. One was in college and one was getting ready to go to college. And that was like a very pressure situation, not having your act together as a salesperson and having all these, these external things uh, going on in, in your life. Then I had some personal uh, issues for myself uh, during that same, that same time period. So when you add all these things up, that's what really identified to me that I wasn't who I was supposed to be as a, as a person in business. And that's why I say on October 31st, 2014, I fired Rick, the salesperson. And on November 1st, 2014, I hired Rick, the CEO. Now, um, in addition to that, I discovered that I really was, was a product pitcher. That's all I did. I was product pitching. And before the crash happened, it was easy to product pitch because at least here in California, people had, you know, extra money and it didn't really matter what you were selling. If there was some type of need for it and, and, and a consumer didn't have it, or if a business owner, you know, didn't have something that you, that you had and it, you could really, you know, finagle your way, finagle your way through uh, showing how it might fit. The business owner would buy it, the consumer would buy it. And this, that's how it was before the real estate crash. People just had money to do just about whatever. They would buy travel packages, they would buy, you know, all kinds of things for their lawns. They'd buy vacuum cleaners. They'd buy insurance. Uh, they would refinance their house. They would get great dental uh, treatments and extra stuff. They would get cosmetic surgery uh, services. Um, there were just so many things that people just bought. And maybe they purchased those things uh, unnecessarily. 
you know, they just bought it because they had money and they were like, uh, like window shopping or, or shopping with, with their eyeballs and, and with their, um, their pocketbooks, not really caring about other things that may come down the road. So maybe they were not budgeting. The next thing I discovered is that the companies that I worked with, they really did not help the salesperson. And I know this now for a fact that they did not help the salesperson. Now I'm not blaming them per se, because most of the companies that you work for, it's really not their responsibility to teach you how to sell. Their responsibility is to provide the products and services and the, the contractual agreement for you to go out and sell any way that you can. And their job is to help out once you have product or service uh, issues where you're trying to uh, get a product or service sold after you have met with the, with the prospect and you're trying to convert that prospect to a consumer. So no, no, really, no real problem there with that, but I will tell you, so many salespeople are underserved because they don't know how to sell. So that is something I had to come to grips with. And it re I really didn't understand uh, what the problem was until after I fell flat on my face. And that's when I, I discovered, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Yes, I know the product side extremely well because that's where 95% of independent you know, sales organizations spend their time. They, they spend their time making sure that the, that the salesperson understands real estate, that the, the person understands uh, the insurance business, that they understand, even if you're an attorney, there's all, all of these um, places, education opportunities that you can take to understand you know, deeper portions of the law. For dentists, they can go to seminars and, and other speeches uh, done by more experienced dentists and they can get additional training on, on different procedures. I know because I've talked to, you know, a ton of attorneys, a ton of dentists, a few cosmetic surgeons, uh, a lot of CPAs. In fact, I used to have a CPA account in Los Angeles and San Francisco where I knew at least four companies that had over 120 CPAs on staff. So that was 500 CPAs. I knew the principles of the CPA firms and I used to see what they what they would do to make money. I used to talk to the uh, staff accountants and some of the CPAs on staff so I knew what they did for their clients. So when I say this, I'm just letting you, I'm letting people know that on October 3rd, on November 30th, I'm sorry, October 31st, 2014, I had to fire myself because I just, I just didn't see how I was going to make it. So on November 1st, 2014, I'll never forget the day I said to myself, that was yesterday, October 31st, 2014 and before, and today is a new day. I am now the CEO of my company. And I had you know, two different names before 321BizDev LLC. But that the, the, the number of years I've been in business have been continuous without a break. 
So on, on November 1st, 2014, I said to myself, let's find out what the hell is going on with selling. Now, I think I've always said that I do have corporate sales experience. And corporate sales experience works for corporate America. Now, is there some crossover in corporate selling and independent selling? Yes, there is, but there's not a lot. The reason why corporate selling is much different than independent uh, sales, I'm talking about independent real estate, independent insurance sales, uh, CPA practices are independent, attorney law firms are independent, uh, dental clinics and dental practices are, are independent, cosmetic surgery practices are independent. So I just want to define what I mean by independent versus corporate. In the corporate setting, for instance, I was in health in the health insurance space, there were only like five or six major companies. And those five or six major companies had logos, they had websites, they had um, branding, and the money spent on sales and marketing and advertising was easily over a million dollars. So there was no uh, true reason to have to educate the consumer on who your company was. Your company is, as soon as you show your, you show your card, people automatically know what you market, what you sell, sell and you market. They know why you're calling. As soon as you say the health insurance company, they know why you're calling. And guess what? You're not gonna call unless they have a need for health insurance. But on the independent side, yeah, so the first module I wrote was what is a business? Because I said to myself, I, I mean, even though I knew what a business was, I said, let me go back to the roots of what I need to know. If I was a brand new person, what would I need to know? And so I said to myself, if a person is starting an independent uh, sales, you know, uh, contractor relationship, I would say, congratulations. Whether you're selling insurance, real estate, you're starting a CPA, CPA practice, you're starting a dental practice, congratulations for starting your business. You have made a good decision to take responsibility for your livelihood as an entrepreneur, whether you are in business full-time or working part-time to supplement full-time employment or retirement income. Because some people start businesses for different reasons. Some people are full-time business owners. Sometimes they're, they're part-time because maybe they have a retirement income or maybe they have a daytime job and they want to you know, make some money on the side. They say, as they say, it's an old cliche. And I put the good news is you can succeed at your small business if you understand and follow the modules after this introduction. Okay, so I had some outlines of what I wanted to talk about um, for people starting sales. And the things I wanted to talk about were, number one, understanding business. The second thing I thought about was, I, I mean, there's so many people that are in business, but they don't understand economics. And I said to myself, well, I need to have a module that talks about economics. Because if you don't have a good understanding about economics, you may think that you're doing well, 
when you're not. And for, for people, people also have to understand when you, when, you, when you talk about the subject of economics, since we are uh, people, most of the people listening to this, this podcast, they're in either the U.S., they're in Canada, they're maybe in Mexico, they may be in England. In other words, they, they are in countries where you can sell something and make a profit. You know, so in that situation where you can take something, maybe you can buy it for 10 bucks and sell it for 17 bucks. And, you know, somewhere in between there, you're going to make about five, six, seven, seven dollars, you know, profit. You need to understand what economics is. Okay. So the next subject was understanding how capitalism fits in to your business. Now, this was a very sticky one. So I did not, I did not understand why people who are in business had a negative opinion of capitalism. That floored me. And I, I remember doing a training session. So I'm a, I'm a fast, I'm a fast forward a little bit. I remember doing a training session in front of, in front of 50 people. And I said, let me just ask this strange question. Please raise your hand if you feel good about capitalism. Now, remember, these are all business owners and these are all financial um, services professionals. Only about 15%, maybe like six, six people, six or seven people raised their hand that they had a favorable opinion of capitalism. And I was shocked. Yeah, I'm not kidding. So we spent about 30 minutes talking about and in this module, 30 to 45 minutes talking about capitalism. And in a, and in a nutshell, capitalism is, is an efficient way of moving products, goods, and services to meet the consumer's you know, demand or need for what they're looking for. And when you do that, you make a profit. Okay, so that's a very simple definition of it. So when I said, okay, you know, your financial services people, if you sell a product and you make a thousand dollars, you spent two or three hours, you know, doing all the things you needed to do to get the application signed, you know, and going backwards, you had to meet, you had to meet with the person at the appointment, then you had to prospect them. So maybe you spent four to five hours total and you made a thousand dollars. How much did you make per hour? And they would, oh, they would say, oh, $200 an hour. And I said, how did that make you feel? Does that make, did that make you feel bad that you made $200 an hour? And some people honestly said, yes, Rick, that, God, no, there's some people making minimum wage right now. And sometimes I feel, uh, I, I feel bad that I just made $200 an hour. And so I had to explain it to them that you made a choice to start your business. So to make a long story short about capitalism, there are some psychological things going on in, with small business owners when it comes to capitalism. Sometimes it's like they'd rather make the thousand dollars and not let anybody know they made a thousand dollars or make a thousand dollars. And I guess there, there would probably be a small percentage of people that would say, you know what, 
I need to pay additional taxes on this, on this, on this $1,000 because it's the right thing to do. So no judgment. I'm just saying the capitalism component of understanding what a business is took me by surprise. It really did. So now I spend a good 45 minutes talking about capitalism and talking about, you know, how, you know, taxes, um, you know, help or hurt the economy and, and, and what taxes are used for. And I would say the majority of people, when they finish this module on capitalism, they finish the class with, wow, I didn't know that. And, and that's what I want. I want them to understand that they are essentially capitalists. If you're selling a product or service for profit and uh, you have a business, you are considered a capitalist. And some people didn't like that word capitalist because it conjured up memories or images of, of gluttony, of someone with, sitting, sitting at a table with like a, a table full of, full of food and their belly is just busting wide open because they're just eating everything in front of them because they can afford it. So the next uh, thing I started writing was the employee to salesperson transition. And people may say, okay, that sounds pretty good. Man, it's, it's bigger than that. When people are employees and they're making that transition to their first independent sales um, position, whether it be an insurance agent, real estate agent, CPA, dentist, cosmetic surgeon, uh, what else, attorney, that is a major transition. It's gotta be close, and I'm a guy, so I can't really 100% uh, say this, or even close, I can't even say, I can't even say it's 70% it's uh, as, as equal to this, but it's gotta be close to giving birth. When a person who used to work a nine to five job transitions over to a salesperson, that is a major shift in their, their mental, their mentality. It's a major shift in uh, discipline. It's a major shift in, in thinking. Okay, so if you thought that one was a tough one, going from salesperson, which is the next uh, thing I started writing, going from a salesperson to a consultant. And when I, when I say that, most of the people give me the Scooby-Doo, hmm? there's a big difference between a salesperson and a consultant. So most of the podcasts that you're hearing are about consulting. So you can be a real estate agent and be a salesperson, but you can also be a real estate agent and be a consultant. You can be a CPA and, you know, market your, your CPA services to do books and, and do quarterlies and, and do all these other things, payroll, or you can be a CPA consultant. You can be a insurance agent and be a salesperson like I was before November 1st, 2014 and market insurance products, or you can be like I was on November, on November 1st, 2014 and after as, as a consultant. There's a big difference between a salesperson and a consultant. And I'll give you the short answer. A salesperson pitches products and a consultant asks questions. 
So then I started looking at, well, I wonder if people understand the difference between marketing and advertising. And we can also throw in their branding, but I already gave you the, the, uh, the 411 on branding. Marketing versus advertising is another hurdle. Now, it, now the, the lines are kind of blurred, uh, defining what marketing and advertising is, but I do talk about it, just so I can give people like a, like a glimpse of when people say they're advertising, what does that mean? And when people say they're marketing, what does that mean? And I'll give you a good one. Here's a good one, this is, a, this is like a, a quick one. I knew people that would say, when I was, when I was uh, working in the Indian financial services industry, uh, they would say, well, I'm going, out to, I'm going out to do some marketing. And a new person would be like, what? What does that mean? You're going, you're going out to do some marketing. So the person would say, I'm going out to do some marketing. So the person would go walk through these small businesses, these uh, strip malls or these uh, office buildings that had offices or businesses inside. And uh, they would um, knock on the door. And uh, what they would do is just leave their business card at the counter. Or they would go into an auto, to an auto repair shop and not say hello to anybody at the auto repair shop or not say a whole lot of words to the person at the auto repair shop and they would just hand the person the card or they would put the card on the counter and uh, they call that marketing that's advertising if you leave some type of brochure some type of business card without making any contact with the person at that company that is pure advertising in contrast if you get to speak with someone and you, you have like a one minute, two minute conversation about your product or service and, you get, and you're trying to find out more about that company, that starts to move over, over into the marketing side. So that's the, um, the short version of that one. So then I spent a lot of time on prospecting. Now prospecting was something that I, I did, that was, a, that was an area where I did have some significant experience, okay? but. Even my prospecting needed to be fixed when I looked at what I was doing for the past, you know, six, seven years, I said to myself, my prospecting was even not up to par. So I had to fix my prospecting. I had to fix it. And I had to fix, if the person said yes, I had to, I had to fix the appointment part. Like how would I conduct the appointment? Now, when I, when I said I had to fix these things, I didn't, I didn't pull the information out of thin air. I spent hundreds of hours looking up what behavioral psychologists wrote about the consumer interaction with salespersons. Some of the information was current as of like 2013. Some of it went back to like 1960. So some of them went back, you know, 30, 40, you know, you know, 45 years. Now you might say to Rick, the information from 1960 is irrelevant. Not true. People really have not changed their behaviors. What has changed is how we connect with them. But essentially, I'll just give you a short one. Uh, there was a psychologist that said, uh, and this is a psychologist at, I'm mean, not just one psychologist, psych 
not just one psychologist. There were teams of psychologists from like Cornell, from Ohio State, from, from, from Stanford, from um, Harvard, from uh, NYU, going back to 1960 to current date. And the summary was based on tons and tons, thousands of data, thousands of data points. And the current, um, the current analysis as of like 2012 basically said that consumers still like to connect with people. 72% of this study revealed that consumers still want to meet with people. They don't like necessarily, you know, all this, all the, uh, the social media stuff and meeting with people uh, via, you know, digital means. Now, the study did say that once a, once a, if a price is at a, a level like 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, then digital methods like buying an airline ticket, who wants to really meet with the, um, uh, an, an airline person you know, like a, or a travel agent if you're buying uh, an airline ticket. Now I know people still use travel agents, I'm, so I'm not slamming travel agents. I'm talking about, you know, the, 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 the guy, husband and wife, you know, they're sitting around and they're planning a trip. Yeah, they can call a travel agent. Yes, there's small business owners that have travel agent services. Yes, there's multi-level marketing services that offer that. And those uh, services are great, they're valid, they, they're awesome. So it's up to the multi-level marketing person to uh, connect with that consumer to pitch that way of buying travel. But I'm talking about the person who has not been talked to by a you know small business opportunity about travel. Well, that person is gonna go to their computer, they're gonna find uh, a, you know, a place they want to go, they're going to you know, book the hotel, book the flight, book the car, and they're done. So the psychologist said that most people prefer to do uh, business that way if it's, if it's something that, I mean, if you're picking United versus Delta or Virgin or uh, one of the other airlines, like American, Airline, American Airlines or Southwest, you know, it's just it's your preference. You're going to do it in there's not gonna be a lot of thinking about it because it's mainly driven on price and when you can fly out and how many seats are available. So, so there are several variables that the consumer can make on their own without any education. But as the price goes up to like $1,000 and above, the study said that most consumers, w w they wanna meet with the person. They wanna, they wanna talk to a person they, they need education perhaps on the product or service. They want some reassurance on the product or service. And here's the big one. They want a great sales experience if they're spending that much money. And that's what happened. That's what kind of caused the real estate industry to be in the, the debacle or the, the disaster that it's in now. Real estate agents stopped talking to people. And, and it allowed companies like Redfin and Zillow to swoop on in and uh, claim a, a digital position in the real estate uh, market. But um, yeah, so consumers are basically saying, if I'm spending a lot of money, I want 
to connect with a person. And I want that person to give me a great sales experience. So I wanted to do this uh, you know, kind of lengthy podcast and I might end up doing it all over again too. But the bottom line is that I had to retool everything that I was doing for the last six, seven years based on failing uh, as of October 31st, 2014. So I fired myself and I rehired Rick, the CEO. So thank you for listening to this podcast. Make it a great day.